God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. He must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And uh, we're going to start off with talking about the Ukraine crisis. Um, because it's going to have an impact on China. It's going to have an impact on a lot of other things. Uh, I see this playing out as a, uh, a, a uh, war between nationalism and globalism. Today we're also going to be speaking, talking a lot about uh, BlackRock and these financial institutions that basically run the world. And uh, when you think about that, that too is another impact of globalism and nationalism. And the picture is starting to come become very clear between you know as to what's at stake with regard to this globalism and nationalism and what is globalism i mean globalism is this uh representation without uh or taxation without representation and it's this representation without elections which makes it easy for the democrats to rig elections because they see the they don't see the point in elections it's just a um and you know, just an unnecessary little uh, show, dog and pony show. But the people that are running the world are not elected officials, which again gets me to the point too that where when you talk about term limits, the unintended consequence of ending term limit or, or, or enforcing term limits, the unintended consequence of that is that the elected, elected officials that would normally be elected and responsible and, and bound by the people, representing the people, and trying to keep their jobs on behalf of the people. I mean, they wouldn't have that duty anymore. They wouldn't have that responsibility or that burden. They would simply just fall into the cracks of the wheels of government and they would just become part of the bureaucratic engine. 
and the corruption will be even worse than it is today. At least now we have something like cinema and mansion. At least now we have cinema and mansion sort of uh, trying to keep their job, just like Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell sold out and kissed the ring of Donald Trump and became, you know, these stalwarts, uh, you know, not stalwarts, but they became a, a, a lot more effective as, as conservative leaders in, in the year prior to their election than they are now than they ever were. Now, yeah, they could be lying through their teeth, but at least we get one year of their six years in the Senate. We get at least one year of earnest behavior, earnest trying and working. And the same thing might be true about cinema in Arizona and Mansion in West Virginia. They're, they're, they're having to be earnest with the people that they so-called represent because if they don't, they are, there's no chance. You know, I wish that our voters would have a longer attention span and realize that it's not okay to impeach someone like President Donald Trump over a perfectly good Ukrainian call. And who the heck is Ukraine? But some nothing company, country, nothing com- country, almost worthless country. Corrupt to the hilt. A puppet of Putin. And what's new? Why, why uh, not Syria? Why Ukraine? And there's a whole lot of reasons for all these things, but Syria is a puppet of Russia. I mean, Russia's been in bed with the Assad kingdom since the Assad family took over that land in Syria in the 1970s. And what did Russia do? They set up a trillion-dollar naval base just off the uh, west coast of Syria, adjacent to Cyprus on the Mediterranean Sea, and they uh, had Targus, Targus, their naval, naval base. And they just recently, in the last few years, signed a 50-year lease. They're not going anywhere. So this whole conflict in Syria is just ridiculous. That's their base. We have our own allies in the Middle East to protect our interests, whether it's oil distribution or what have you, to develop those kinds of relationships. That's why we have Turkey and NATO. Turkey's really not a great ally for NATO, but they're strategic. And even, even even now, they don't even fully play ball all the time. They have some allegiances with Iran and so on and so forth. Probably Russia. You know, Russia can make some moves right now that could have a direct impact on supply chains that affect Turkey. Russia is surrounding Belarus. Belarusia. Russia right now is in Crimea, primarily for the shipping lanes and the oil distribution channels. They look at Ukraine as a neighboring country where a lot of relatives from the Russian country are in Ukraine. 
talk about a civil war where brothers fight brothers and mothers fight husbands and things like that. It's crazy. There's a lot of uh, Russian influence in Ukraine, the politicians. Look at what China is doing in Hong Kong. Just last week, it was announced that they put an emblem, a, Rus- a Chinese emblem, in the, uh, in, the, in the legislature of Hong Kong. <clears throat> there was supposed to be like a 50-year colonialism uh, departure from colonialism from U- the United Kingdom, Hong Kong. And they can't wait that long. Because so, Hong Kong is just too important to China. So China wants it today. China moved 39 fighter jets to the, to the shores or the uh, border of um, Taiwan. I guess they're waiting for the Olympics to transpire. And you're not hearing much about this Olympic, these Olympics. But what you are hearing is that China is building up around Taiwan and you better believe that China is looking to see what Biden and his team of bandits is doing with Ukraine. So they could pound their chest all they want, but you know what their track record is? Their track record right now is Afghanistan. You know, that Afghanistan where we still left people behind? That for political reasons we changed the blueprint to success that was already in place in Afghanistan because Orange Man was bad and somehow they wanted to shut down an Air Force base and decompose it or, you know, basically get out of it. The Bagram Air Force Base we could have used to provide strategic cover for our allied forces in the area so that we can evacuate our teams, our State Department teams, our CIA teams, our intelligence apparatus, all of our different bases. We can close them down properly. We can move our military assets out and take them out of the hands of Taliban. We could have done it right. The blueprint was there. And all of a sudden, we decided to move our military out, shut down our Air Force bases, and leave all of our civilians and our foreign service members there to be scrambled and shot to death. In many cases, a lot of our foreign services workers in Afghanistan were killed, were murdered as a result of Biden's negligence and stupidity. You better believe that they're looking at that Afghanistan and they're saying, we could test this guy. And test they will. Putin is a strategic guy. Putin is not a lightweight. Putin is a nationalist. Putin can't stand globalism. He's not a big fan of globalism. He likes nationalism. Mother Russia first, everyone else second. So when it comes time, it's easy to predict where his love is and where his heart is. 
I don't think you can do that with uh, Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, who had his honeymoon in Russia. The country they say they hate the most is the one that they're sort of in love with. You know, when you hang out in communist totalitarianism countries just for pleasure, because you like the system and the way things are run. But Putin, it's easy to predict what he would do. Because what he would do for a country that he loves and what you would do for a country you love is probably the same thing. And that's the beautiful thing about bilateral trade and we're going to be talking about this here later in the show. But that's the beautiful thing about colors and stripes and teams. You know, when you go to the Olympics and you got the, you know, the team, the team colors on USA, you know, USA is going to fight till the, the death to win that event. And you know that whoever they're going against is going to give you their best to try to win. And that's just predictable. But when you open up your borders and you uh, trash the police and you tax the citizens and you praise the criminals and upside down is right side up and black is white and the sky is purple and when you gaslight your population and you drug them up with fentanyl and heroin And you send them off to ridiculously ill-planned wars. And you keep them at home with masks on. And you rig their elections. You don't much care for those people. And by the time it's all said and done, your demographics have changed. You look up and you don't even recognize your neighbors. You can't see their faces. You can't talk to them because you're told, stay indoors. Meanwhile, all these wheels of globalism are turning. You know, the beautiful thing about elections, there's a big election in France right now, and the referendum is really globalism versus nationalism. We're going to talk today about BlackRock and these multinational corporations and these finance companies that own them all. And again, that's globalism versus nationalism. And we're going to explain how that works. But you better believe that Ukraine and Russia are about globalism and nationalism as well. If Russia decided to put missiles in Cuba, let's just call it the Cuban Missile Crisis. Let's just call it that for for a second. Would we be too happy about that? I don't think so. I don't think we would like it if MiG fighter jets and Russian missiles targeting D.C. and New York and Miami and they put them in Cuba. I don't think we'd be all that happy if they decided to build up their arsenal in Cuba. But we are putting a a red welcome mat The red carpet, we're putting it right out there for them to do that. 
We're creating all the incentives for Russia to do that. Russia doesn't want to spend that money. They don't want to do that. But they will do that. If they see America as the threat. So the idea behind all this is that Russia doesn't want Ukraine in NATO because as soon as NATO endorses Ukraine, Ukraine becomes part of the West. And Ukraine is represented by a lot of Russian influence, influencers, people with a lot of powerful words to say, a lot of money, a lot of oligarchs. And they influence Russian politics. And in addition to all of that, what you have is you have Ukraine so close to Moscow, it make your head spin. So if Ukraine becomes part of NATO, then NATO's missiles, NATO's rifles, NATO's tanks are also Ukraine's missiles, rifles, and tanks. And Russia says, okay, well, we see that as an existential threat. We see that as the globalists gaining power and leverage over Russia. We're the big bear, not you. But before we allow you to gain inroads and entrench yourself and fortify your position in Ukraine, we are going to surround Belarus and Ukraine and we are going to put a stop to this before it ever begins. How do you like those apples? And it's at that moment that you have the motivating factors that we created for Russian aggression in Ukraine. Because if we would just leave well enough alone, that would be one thing. But you know why we didn't leave alone? The reason why we did not leave it alone is because you had swine politicians like Lindsey Graham and John McCain fleecing the governments of these puppet nations that we were helping with billions of dollars in aid because they were poor and worthless and weak. But we wanted to put them up on stilts because it wasn't organic. It was propped up by globalists to weaken Russia. And so Ukraine was a puppet country caught in the middle between Russia and the globalism, globalists, the NATO, and the United States, which are really one and the same because the United States is the lion's share of the money for NATO. And, and so the problem for this is that when you have corrupt politicians being bought off, you can, you can count on their vote so long as you keep the money going. And that corruption, the motivating factor for the corruption was just that. So Ukraine was buying off of the politicians, whether it's the European Parliament, whether it was the, you know, 
the, the United Kingdom's parliament, the parliamentary members, MPs, member of the parliament, or the European Union, the people, the folks in Brussels, the folks over at NATO, and then the senators like McCain and Lindsey Graham and Amy Klobuchar and all these people that were taking a lot of backroom deals, corrupting the situation, putting their children on the boards of strategic oil companies like Burisma, Hunter Biden. The Biden family sold out America, escalated this crisis. What we were doing in Syria was thorn in Russia's side. And if you look at the actions of Lindsey Graham in Syria, and McCain for that matter, who's now deceased, but and what they were doing, alliancing themselves with ISIS to basically destabilize the Assad kingdom in Syria and be a thorn in the side of Russia and then add to it the Ukraine corruption and their connections and their corruption with Poroshenko before Zelensky. What you end up having is you have this hot mess. You have these assurances that my son is going to get $80,000 a month for doing nothing and you can count on my vote. And you know, we have video and we have pictures of Amy Klobuchar and John McCain and Lindsey Graham <clears throat> all receiving medals, special medals of honor from Poroshenko and the leaders of Latvia and Lithuania and all these other Baltic countries that were part of a supply chain uh, distribution channel down into the Middle East, Montenegro. Remember that leader, that Montenegro uh, leader? I forget his name, but when Trump went to his first NATO meeting, he took the uh, Montenegro leader by the shoulder and pulled him and pushed him. He almost thought there was going to be a fisticuff between two leaders because Trump understood this guy was in the way. And it was actually metaphorical that he pulled the guy out of the way. Get out of my way. I'm the United States. I stand in the front and I stand in the center. We lead in America. And this guy knew he knew whose lunch it was. And I loved it when Trump stood there before NATO and said, this is a really nice building you guys have. Billion dollars of building. Billion dollar building. He knows the price of a building. And Trump stood there and said, this is a nice building. I don't know how you paid for it because people aren't paying their bills. And so, you know, so Russia has every reasonable right to be feel threatened by this whole talk. I mean, I put a meme up. I put a post up. And the post included um, a picture of Ukraine and all the Russian buildup around Ukraine and why they wanted 
you know, Crimea and they wanted some leverage and some insurance assurances. Now, Poland's got to be kind of worried, too, because Poland is just to the west of Ukraine. And so Poland is, a, you know, a nationalist country. Uh, they don't want to be mixed up in this globalism. And right now, Poland has a situation where they are in violation of certain European law, union laws. And they're, they're being fined. And they're not going to pay the fine. They're saying the fine falls outside of their constitution. The, it, Poland's constitution says they should not pay. And the European Union constitution says they should pay. And now there's a conflict between Poland and the European Union as to who should pay the fine. Should Poland be at the mercy on their hands and knees begging for scraps to the parliamentary non-representing leadership of the European Union? The folks in Brussels who are only in power because of pay-to-play schemes and corruption. They're not duly elected by any citizen of any country. They don't, there's no say there. But I put this meme up, and I, I, I put this uh, tweet up, and uh, I said NATO alliance and arsenal in a corrupt Ukraine that influenced Western politicians through black market dealings is the reason for Russian aggression along the Ukraine border. Just as the U.S. would object to Russian missiles in Cuba, Russia sees Western assets as a threat from Kiev. So Russia military buildup near border is one way to neutralize the threat and gain some leverage at the, the bargaining table. But you also have these pictures of Ukraine's leaders hobnobbing with NATO leadership. And then you have Putin basically hanging out with the leaders in Cuba. So, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And if we would just leave well enough alone, things would be just fine. But Ukraine aggressively and proactively caused their own demise with their own corruption by polluting the minds, hearts, and will of Western politicians who sold out their country for personal profit. And that's where this whole thing lies. And Bidens are no exception. In fact, the Bidens and the Mitt Romneys of the world, because let's see, on the board of Burisma, for example, there was Kofor Black, who used to be a CIA guy. He was also the advisor for Mitt Romney in the 2008 election. He was connected with BlackRock and Eric Prince. Not BlackRock. Um, uh, the uh, mercenary group. And uh, he was connected with that. And and then there was the Ukraine uprising in 2014, where there was like a civil war in Kiev. 
And we think that mercenaries were there to take out some key politicians in Ukraine. It was like a coup in 2014. Kofor Black was probably part of that. And Kofor Black sat on the board at the same time that Hunter Biden sat on the board at Burisma, where they were getting paid $80,000 a month for assurances. You know, and these things are long-term. Keep paying them until they... You know, until they change their mind. And of course, Biden was never going to change his mind. But if you corrupt enough politicians with that kind of money, you're going to get decisions and votes that are going to be counterproductive to the good of the American soldier, to the good of the American people. And whose money are they actually spending anyway? It's yours. That's the sad truth of it all. See, you're spending the money because the billion dollars that Joe Biden was withholding from Viktor Shokin uh, from Ukraine because of Viktor Shokin's investigation of Burisma was all part of this. This is connected to that. And people aren't seeing the connection that the corrupt politicians' decisions were what caused this crisis to come to fruition. We're on the precipice of World War III with two nuclear powers pointing guns at each other because of politicians in seeking personal gain, finance and influence. All this pay-to-pay-play scheme stuff. And it's, it's enough. We've had enough. But don't think for one second this one thing doesn't lead to another. And these politicians are putting our, our country in harm's way. And we don't know what's going to happen next. But we do know this that China is waiting in the wings. After the Chinese totalitarianism election, I mean, uh, Olympics, after those Olympics, you're going to see, I believe you're going to see aggression. They're not moving these jets around for nothing. And they're going to seize Taiwan because they're tired of playing games. China's tired of playing games. China knows right now because they saw what happened. They saw how we acquiesced with regard to COVID. How we were afraid to blame China for the China Chinese flu. The pandemic they created. They crushed the world. And again, we could have fought back in a different way against COVID. We could have blamed China and we could have sanctioned them. We could have brought China to their knees. It would have had a major impact on supply chains and people would have starved. And that's why they avoided it. But people are already starving and the supply chains are already being affected. Just like, you know, in the wake of 9-11, you know, we knew who the counter, we knew the dirty deeds were. We knew that the dirty deeds were brought about by Saudi Arabia and Iran. We and, and, Saddam, and Saddam Hussein, but primarily it was Iran and Saudi Arabia. 
call, you know, their hatred of Israel and their hatred of the West and their influence over terrorism, the oil money that they gained. You know, they were controlling the pricing. OPEC was in control until America became energy independent. But the idea was that if we fought the war directly, again, not, not only could we not prove that 9-11 was state-sponsored by Saudi Arabia and Iran, and it, it, technically it wasn't in the court of law, but in reality it was through the money flowing through black, black channels. The terrorism finance which was done in basically the private markets, the gray markets and the black markets. That trade we talk about, you know, human trafficking, oil, weapons, and drugs. And so what we ended up having is we knew we couldn't prove our case at the UN, which was corrupt with Kofi Annan and his son Cujo uh, violating the oil for food programs and pocketing a lot of money in Iraq at the time. And then you had a lot of our allies like Chirac and Schroeder from Germany and Chirac from France basically getting in bed with companies like Elf Oil, investing in oil from Iran, Iraq when they shouldn't have been because there was a do not trade with Saddam Hussein embargo. And they violated that trust. So you had these globalists selling out back then. But if we waged the war on the real villains of that time, and again, the leadership in Saudi Arabia is not the same as the Solomon family today. It was a, it was a uh, more socialist-oriented, more left-wing-oriented leadership in Saudi Arabia. And if we would have picked a fight with the right with the real villains in the wake of 9-11, we wouldn't have gotten the approval from the UN and it would have been a hot mess in terms of oil pricing. It would have shut down the world's supply chains through oil pricing. So it would have been a very expensive war. And the same thing is true today. We can't really fight the fights we need to fight. But how this shakes down in terms of globalism and nationalism, well, Putin's a nationalist, but he's a totalitarian as well. He's in bed with the world's worst totalitarianism. You know, the Assad kingdom, Venezuela and Maduro, and the leadership of Cuba. And of course, the coup de grace for them is China. So the world's biggest tyrannical governments, Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, Maduro, Assad, and the leader of Cuba, new guy, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but they're all strategic principles and they're all communist governments. And that's their alliance. And it's a bad list of friends, for sure. But to me, that seems to be the where the conflict in Ukraine and Russia is couched. 
And the test, I think, isn't by coincidence. It's by looking in the eyes of someone like a Joe Biden and realizing that Joe Biden is the biggest sellout that America leadership has ever had. And confusion. We have a very confused foreign policy. Our foreign policy is so confused. Why? Because the Atlantic Council's bought out by these corrupt politicians. And the Brookings Institution is motivated by donations, by big players. And these think tanks in Washington control the future jobs of cabinet members in the White House. So if you ever want to have a career in Washington, D.C., do as I tell you to do. But when you have a a strategy that's run by five different think tanks in Washington, D.C., influencing the politicians that sign the papers, you're not going to have a cohesive strategy. That's why it was always in the, in the face of history. You always had one leader where the buck stopped with them and they took full responsibility for everything. A day that will live in infamy, infamy, FDR, Ronald Reagan, Gorbachev tear down that wall, and so many others, Winston Churchill, you know, was the leader that stood the tallest during World War II in defense of England and stood his ground and took risks and took responsibility. The great leaders of history were cohesive. They, they led. Trump was one of those great leaders where Trump... Always believed the buck stopped with him. There was no mistake where the buck stops. But with Biden, everybody knows it's not Biden's policy. It's somebody else's. And we know in D.C., we know who it is. We know that Michael Carpenter, his right-hand advisor, and we know that uh, Eric Sierra Mella, the whistleblower, and we know that you know, all these different advisors have ties to the Brookings Institution, which was the originator of the Russian hoax and the inspiration to the Ukrainian call that, you know, Vindman and Fiona Hill and uh, George Kent and... and uh, all these other uh, so-called academics that were in bed with the Atlantic Council and Brookings Institution were running the show. And I think, you know, I can, I can make this argument, wage the coup against our sitting duly elected president of the United States. When things were riding so high, you know, they're talking about, they talk about the unemployment numbers today and the economy today, and it's terrible. Our GDP is low. Our labor participation rate is so low. We are nowhere near 
where we were in October of 2019. So for Biden last week to take credit for his one-year anniversary and think that somehow he did a good job, when in fact the job numbers right now in terms of labor participation rates are at uh, the height of the, the pandemic. June 2020 is where our labor participation rate and our employment numbers exist today. June 2020. That was at the height of the American shutdown. The height. Where people were working from home and lost their jobs and all kinds of things were happening. The fact that the unemployment rate is so low is because people are off the rolls by now. But the labor participation rate is nowhere near what it was. Say, if you were to compare it to October 2019, almost at the height of the Trump success story. COVID-19 started at, in, at that, in that month. The two, two zero, 201 event that was sponsored by Bill Gates started that event. Started the pandemic. And it was in the wake of Bill Gates' tweet. Bill Gates... On December 19th, 2019, wrote this in a tweet. What's next for our foundation? I'm particularly excited about what the next year could mean for one of the best buys in global health, vaccines. And the Eco Health Alliance was Global Health Alliance. And they were in bed with gain of function. And they're all pictured together. Collins and Fauci and Gates. They were all pictured together in several pictures from several days. They're all wearing different clothes. You know it's different days. They're hanging out together. And they're all smiling and laughing like little school children. They're making millions while people starve. You know... The top 1% quadrupled their money. I mean, they, they made more money than Midas. They made so much money in the pandemic. And you know who else didn't skip a step? Government workers never lost a paycheck. Not one. Nobody got laid off. Nobody got sent home and told they couldn't keep, keep their paycheck. But businesses across America went out of business. Businesses that were in business for 30, 50 years. Stores across Main Street, USA, lost their business, shut their doors. Iconic stores that were part of everything that was valuable and sacred in our communities. These old stores couldn't withstand the burden of this pandemic. But the globalists won. And the globalists that won were financed by multinational interests. And that's the sad truth. There is a company called BlackRock. And and I'm going to I'm going to open this uh, audio clip up and I'm going to show you just a little bit of this. And I want you to hear this 
clip about BlackRock, okay? It's a girl uh, that uh, her her um, YouTube channel is Sorel Amore Finance, and it's actually quite good. So let, let's take a listen to this. Here what if go. I told you that there was a company so powerful on the planet today that it affects almost every single aspect of our lives? A company that is so rich that they hold more assets than the GDP of every single country in the world except for two. A company that is the single largest investor in the destruction of our planet's forests and the largest money contributor to the fossil fuels industry. And what if I also told you that it's very likely you are responsible for the funding of this company and allowing it to do what it does. And even if you tried your absolute hardest, it would almost be impossible for you to stop giving them money. The scary fact is that this company does exist and you have most likely never heard its name before. The company is BlackRock. I'm splitting this video into two parts, the problem and the solution. This could be the most important video I've made on this channel because it gives you an insight into how the ownership of the planet works and who might be pulling the strings of almost everything in our entire lives. And that likely you are contributing to this whole mess by funding this whole entire show. There is so much to talk about in this video. So I'll just ask you to hit that like button and let's get into it. Part one, the problem. Okay, so let's talk about BlackRock and some of the giant problems that are associated with this enormous company. First and foremost, BlackRock is the largest asset management firm on the planet. They hold stocks, ownership of companies, property, and a ton of other stuff, of course, with the main purpose of driving profit for themselves and their shareholders. And they own a part of almost everything. And when I say everything, I really mean everything. Let me explain how. The names on the screen are the seven biggest banks in America. And in some way or another, if you are an American that gets loans, does your banking, has investments, or has your pension fund, you are likely connected to one of these banks. But who owns these banks? Well, in one way or another, BlackRock does. BlackRock is either the largest or one of the largest shareholders in all of these seven banks. All of them. So if you are part of the general American banking system, it's likely you don't really have a choice whether or not to deal with BlackRock. And you're putting your trust in them to hold some of your money. You might think you have a choice with banking, but really it's an illusion of choice. But if you don't live in America, don't think that you are safe because it's likely that you are within BlackRock's reach as well. For example, BlackRock owns shares in the four biggest Australian banks and it is the single largest shareholder in all of these banks. In Germany, they own part of Deutsche Bank, the Commerce Bank, as well as owning a big part of Germany's postal system. In the UK, they are the largest shareholder in Lloyds Bank. And throughout Europe, there are almost no country that BlackRock doesn't own shares in at least one financial institution or bank. And even here in little old Iceland, from the digging we've done, it seems that every single bank in Iceland does some sort of business with BlackRock or it invests its company's money into BlackRock's funds. So that is banking, but there are many other ways that your money finds its way to BlackRock as well. Chances are, if you've ever done any work before, you have a pension fund. Pension funds could be called 401, superannuation, or just a pension fund depending where in the world you live. When you put your money into pension funds, your fund puts it into investments to help it grow for retirement, but it's probably likely you don't have a say where this money is actually going. But it doesn't really matter anyway because they're all basically investing with BlackRock. In the developed world, there is a very, very, very high chance that your money in your pension fund is being invested 
invested with BlackRock or in a fund connected to BlackRock in some way. So your money is finding its way there as well. And what about insurance? Well, many of the largest insurance companies such as AIG or Allianz are either owned in part or invest with BlackRock's funds. And in America, more insurance companies hold their investments with BlackRock than with any other company. So it does. So you get the idea. Now, we can take this a little further. Uh, she has other parts of this. The point is, is that like Pepsi and Coke aren't, aren't really in competition with each other because they're owned by BlackRock um, or companies like BlackRock. Vanguard would come to mind. State Street would come to mind. And the idea is that uh, like we're going to take this a little bit more to the uh, world of politics where she doesn't go as far into that as I do. Um, but how this becomes global is, you know, for years I've been talking about how our media influence, our media companies are influenced by China and the Chinese influence because China holds 1.5 billion people as a commodity, slave labor channels uh, in terms of distribution channels, and um, and they also buy up influence. They they own a lot of our farmland. They they own a lot of our corporations, and they control our speech. So there's that. And I've been talking about China for forever, and how they've impacted and influenced our politics, and and our media. But you could take it to BlackRock now, as the other side of the coin that's just as dominant a factor. It's the reason why, you know, one of the questions was, how in the world, why is it that Walmart or all these different companies would embrace embrace uh, Black Lives Matter, a Marxist group that hates cops, that hates America, wants to segregate, and yet, you know, these corporations call that woke and decide they want to be woke too. The same people, these Neanderthals called Black Lives Matter and Antifa uh, are burning our cities to the ground and setting Foot Locker and uh, AutoZone and Walmart buildings on fire, Right? Why in the world would they endorse these companies that are burning their stores to the ground? And the reason why is because of the messaging that's supported by it all. BlackRock owns owns it all. So, you know, Larry Finch, Fink, is the guy that owns BlackRock. But the, but the idea behind all this is... Um, that they control the narrative, and the narrative must be global. So when, for example, when UK wanted to Brexit, when they wanted to exit the European Union, the people didn't get what they wanted. And what happened was the globalists were prevailing, and they still are prevailing. And when Obama said, well, the people that vote for Brexit are going to go to the back of the line in terms of trade, well, and then Trump came along and said, I know some great bilateral deals. Bilateral is a, is a curse word to globalism. Bilateralism 
Uh, because what you would hear this woman say, if we had more time to play the rest of her clip, is she was saying there are some countries that actually ban some of the monopolistic tendencies enjoyed by BlackRock. But hardly any countries, but there are some. Just like when Trump says, I want to do a bilateral trade deal, I want to get out of TPP, I want to get out of all these global deals, these multinational corporate deals, these multinational deals, these multi-treaties, multinational treaties, I want to get out of those, and what I want to do instead is I want to work directly with each country who has their interests best at heart. And I want to do bilateral trade. Well, as soon as they do that, the people that are left on the sidelines are people like BlackRock. Because these trade deals don't have any room for this globalism nonsense. So when Pepsi and Coca-Cola claim that they're at competing with each other, they're not. Because the same person at the top of the pyramid is going to make money whether Pepsi sells or Coke sells, whether GE or whether um, General Mills sells or Procter & Gamble sells. It doesn't matter. Mars is another company. You know, all these big companies are all owned by the same people. So they're really not in competition with each other. And that's the problem. And they all get a place at the board table. They all have a place in your in our committees they all buy the politicians you heard about corporate greed you heard about corporate influence over politics you heard about corporate uh dominance you know in in our media and our fake news well that's just it they're solvent because they're all owned whether win or lose and the people get the short end of the stick because we no longer have our mom and pop stores on Main Street, and that's number one. But number two, these multinational corporate monopolies enjoy higher profits, price gouging, controls, but now they're getting into the world of, of controlling speech, social credit score systems, and the whole ball of wax. And so this BlackRock business is global is, is part of the globalism problem and it's why they fear trump so much because trump was all about bilateral trade and bilateral relationships that weren't multinational and that weren't global and we're going to keep on covering this issue because it it's it's really a, the root cause of where we find ourselves today with this censorship and big tech and mainstream media gaslighting. Hey, we're at the end of the show today. You've been listening to The Scott Adams Show. Be sure to check out scottadamshow.com for the latest podcast. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. From a small town in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in D.C., but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there. 